0: good to be with you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Exodus chapter 3, and we'll get there in just a moment. Uh, Last week, we started our Lenten series here. Lent is the 40-day season that leads up to the death and resurrection of Jesus, and so it's a season where we reflect uh, on our sin and our brokenness, and uh, we often participate in fasting and repentance. And so, uh, as a church, we're going to be walking through The book of Exodus. We're going to look at six key passages in the book of Exodus, and we're calling this series The Exit uh, because Exodus means exit, and it's a story of the people of God exiting captivity in Egypt and being led by God into this good and spacious land. And our hope and our prayer is that perhaps in this series, as we're engaging Scripture and as we're hearing from the Lord together, that we might find ourselves exiting. Uh, that which holds us captive and God leading us into a greater experience of his kingdom and the freedom that he has for us. Last week, we kicked off the story by looking at Moses' origin story. So the events that led up uh, to Moses being called as the person to lead this exodus And um, there's a lot in Exodus 1 and 2, so if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to read Exodus 1 and 2, listen to last week's message. There's a lot there in the story, Uh, but I'm just going to recap briefly. We left off with Moses being a fugitive after he had killed an Egyptian. He went to Midian, and while he's in Midian, he intervenes on behalf of these seven sisters who have gone to a well to draw water. And uh, later on, the sisters, they get home, and they tell their father what happened. And he, he's so happy about this, he has them go back to get Moses and invites him to his home. And Moses ends up marrying one of his daughters, and they have a, a child, and they're living as a family in Midian. So this is where we left off. This morning, we're going to continue the story and discover what's often referred to as the calling of Moses. And my hope in prayer this morning, just as Adam shared during our worship set, isn't that this would be just a nice trip down memory lane? Isn't it great that God called this hero thousands of years ago to be a part of his larger redemptive story, but that in this story that we look at this morning, you might find that God is calling you and that God is calling us as a church to partner with him in a significant way. And so let's pray and then we'll jump in. Lord Jesus, we come before you today and uh, we just, we claim the words that we just sang, uh, that we, we are children of God. I pray that each and every person in here might know that this morning, that regardless of how they came in this morning, uh, what they've heard, what, what, they've, what lie they've bought throughout their lives, I pray that they would know this morning that they are your son, that they are your daughter and that uh, we could rest in that as a church today. Uh, Lord, I know that as we we come in today, there's there's probably many hearts that are anxious and heavy for many different reasons. Think about what's going on in our our country and our world. We think of those who uh, were impacted by the devastating tornado in Tennessee this week. We pray just for uh, your comfort, for your peace. Uh, for restoration in that place, we we thank you for just the presence of your church and how it shows your love um, in those communities. And we just we pray um, for a quick recovery and uh, that that the church would be a beacon of light in that place. Um, we think of a, a country that's so politically divided. And, uh, for us, as we go to the polls this week, I, I pray Jesus that as your church, as your people. Uh, Our politics would be shaped by our faith, and not our faith shaped by our politics. And that uh, as we vote, we would just be mindful that we belong to a greater king, with a greater kingdom, and that you have called us to be agents of the kingdom of God here in this place. And Lord, there's some of us here in uh, this church that our hearts are heavy um, because we've lost a friend this week. And uh, Lord, I I pray that um, you would just fill us with comfort, with hope, with peace, and the hope of the resurrection. Uh, Help us to keep in mind just the urgency of our days, the urgency of this mission, um, to show how your love can restore joy and freedom. Help us to make the most of every opportunity. We pray for the family and friends of... um, of our friend and i pray that you would uh, just bring them comfort and peace in this time pray jesus as we look to your word now uh, that you would give us eyes to see ears to hear hearts to receive from you and i pray uh, that you would fill me with your holy spirit And anoint me to bring the good news that you have for your church today. For those who come in here afflicted in some way, would you bring them comfort? For those of us in here who maybe are a little too comfortable and complacent, would you challenge us and stir us today? We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, well, let's begin by looking at Exodus chapter 3. And we'll read the first nine verses. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, Moses. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are pressing them. So chapter 3 begins with Moses uh, attending his father-in-law Jethro. In chapter 2, he was referred to as Ruel, So he's tending his father-in-law's sheep. And so the prince, turned murderer, turned fugitive, turned immigrant, has now become a shepherd. And scholars believe that the events of chapter 3 are about 40 years uh, after the events of chapter 2 close. So Moses is probably around 80 years old now. And so here he is, As a shepherd, and we we have this picture of a shepherd often in our minds, uh, of, of some guy standing peacefully in the pasture, holding a staff in his hand, keeping watch over sheep. But in reality, a shepherd in those days was likely constantly on the move. You see, the job of a shepherd would be to move the flock regularly to places of pasture and water. And in the desert, there wasn't a lot of green space and a lot of water. And so day after day, the shepherd would roam, would lead the sheep from one side of the wilderness to the other, just looking for a water source, just looking for green pasture. So imagine being Moses for a moment. Forty years, you've been living as a shepherd. Just day after day, walking to and from in the desert, in the wilderness, just leading and guiding these sheep. I mean, what a monotonous, boring job. And he would have had a lot of time to think. And as I imagine Moses in these days, I I can't help but think that he would often replay his past, replay his history, I mean, thinking about growing up as a prince, giving up the power and privilege that he had in the court and identifying with the Hebrews and killing an Egyptian. As he roamed, he would think about becoming a fugitive on the run, ending up in Midian, meeting these girls, connecting with Jethro, taking a wife, having a child, having a family. And so here he is now for 40 years, a blue-collar family man, doing the family business as a shepherd day after day after day until one day there's a bit of a divine interruption and everything changes. The text tells us that as Moses approaches Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, which will become a pretty key place in the Bible, Moses notices notices something that's a bit out of the ordinary. He sees a burning bush, Now, a burning bush in those days and in that place in and of itself may not have been all out of the ordinary. I mean, a bush could catch on fire due to the desert heat, or sometimes travelers or robbers would set bushes or trees on fire. And so Moses perhaps had seen this before, but there were two things that made this burning bush a little remarkable. The first is the fire was not consuming the bush. That'd be somewhat remarkable. But the second thing was that much more remarkable. The bush started talking to Moses. Now, I've sat around many campfires, never had a kid talking to me. Um, If that happened, that would be something significant. That would not be your average campfire. And what does God say through this burning bush to Moses? He says, Take your sandals off your feet, the place on which you're standing, is holy ground. Now, I'm here to tell you, if a fire starts talking to me, I'm going to do whatever the fire tells me to do. I'll take off my sandals, I'll take off my shirt, whatever. Okay. So Moses does this. Now, if at this point, I'm Moses, I'm wondering what in the world is going on here. I mean, am I just dehydrated? Did I have some bad mushrooms on my pizza last night and I'm just hallucinating? What is going on here? Well, what we find is with God, Miracles are never just magic tricks. This isn't God just showing off or doing something to impress Moses. There is a problem. And God is going to resolve this problem. And Moses is going to be a part of it. And so God first states the problem. He says, I have seen the affliction of my people in Egypt and have heard their cry, and I am concerned about their suffering." Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember, or maybe you won't, so I'll just remind you, as we came to the end of Exodus chapter 2, we find that God, it said, heard the cries of his people. He remembered his covenant with them. He looked upon them. He saw them and he was concerned about them. So here we see these verbs again. And I said last week that this wasn't God just passively off to the side saying, oh, how terrible that these people are going through this, that God was motivated, he was resolved to act. And we see this here, it's confirmed in verse eight. God says, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the most important verse in the chapter. In fact, I would say that this is the gospel before the gospel, God says, I will come down and rescue my people. I will take them out of that land and I will bring them into the good and spacious land. I love this about God. It's not just that God comes and rescues his people, brings them out of bondage and says, good luck to you. But he leads us into a greater place. He leads us into a place of abundance and freedom. And in verse nine, God says, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I've seen their oppression." Now, Moses, at this point, he has got to be thrilled. All of his life, he has longed for the people of Israel to be free. He no doubt had heard stories about God's promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And now they're going to come to fruition. God is going to rescue his people from captivity. This is a great day. And then God drops a bomb. I mean, Moses is probably thinking, I can't wait to see how God's going to do this. Here's what happens next. God says, verse 10, so now go I am sending you, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So here's Moses thinking, I can't wait to see how God's going to do this, and here's what God says. I've seen the suffering. I've seen the heartache of my people, and I've got a plan to do something about it. I have a plan to get the Israelites out of this mess and to lead them into the beautiful place of abundance and freedom. And by the way, Moses, you're the guy. You're the guy that I'm going to do this through. You're the guy that's going to go to Pharaoh who, by the way, hates your people and, by the way, uh, wanted to kill you back in the day. You're going to ask him to let my people go and you will bring everyone out of Egypt. (laughs) I mean, imagine Moses and hearing this. This is where God's big story is going to intersect with Moses' story. What God is doing here is God is calling Moses. This is often referred to as the call of Moses. Another word for calling that we use is the word vocation, which comes from the Latin vocare, which literally means voice. It is to suggest that there is a voice that is calling us to do something. There is a voice outside of us that's summoning us to something greater than ourselves, to resolve a conflict, to address a problem, to accomplish a task it's like a master summoning a servant and sending him out on mission it's not just about being fulfilled in life nor is it just an option when you believe you're called to something you're compelled to do it you have to do it i heard one pastor use this illustration he said it's kind of like when you call out to your kids so i think about it this way i have three boys And if we're in the house and and they're down in the basement, they're in another room, every now and then I might walk to them. Like if I need to get their attention, I might walk to them and ask them something. But most of the time I just call out to them. I I just call out their name and I'll say, come here. I'll call them to do something. And if, you know, if they're going to live in obedience to their father, um, then they'll respond immediately or maybe after three or four times. Um, But they'll respond. And here's the deal. They don't really have a choice. They don't have a choice. They have to respond in obedience to their father. Otherwise, things don't go all that well for them. Well, this is what it means to be called. And when God calls us, we come to him. Yes, he takes into account our passions and and that which fulfills us in life. And I, I think following God's calling is fulfilling. But ultimately, it's about God the Father summoning us to something bigger than ourselves. Let me give you a few quotes on this idea of vocation and calling. This is from journalist David Brooks. He says, In the vocation mentality, you're not living on the ego level of your consciousness, working because the job pays well or makes life convenient. You're down in the substrate. Some activity or some injustice has called to the deepest level of your nature and demanded an active response. The summons to vocation is a very holy thing. I love this quote, too, from Frederick Buechner. He says, The place that God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Let me ask you this more. What's your deep gladness? What what is the thing that you're passionate about? What is the thing that brings you joy? And then what are the deep needs that you see in the world? What are the deep needs you see in your community, in your neighborhood? How might God be aligning those—the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger? A couple other things about this idea of calling or vocation: uh, our vocation is not the same thing as our occupation. You know, oftentimes, like we have to fill out forms and it asks, "What is our vocation?" And so I want to challenge you to think a little deeper next time you have to fill that out. Um, but oftentimes we think, "Well, my, my vocation is—I'm I'm a teacher. I'm an engineer." You know, I'm a stay-at-home parent. Um, I'm a truck driver. That's my vo- That's not your vocation. That's your occupation. I mean, our, our occupation is what we do to make money and provide for ourselves and our families. Now, some people have jobs that are aligned with their calling. I've met many teachers and nurses who, for them, this isn't just a job, it's a calling. But for many of us, occupation itself is not the same as vocation. Vocation is that which we hear from the voice beyond us. It's what we hear from God. Our vocation does not change, but our occupation or our station in life can. Also, I believe we have a general calling and a specific calling. Okay? We, we all have a general calling. So everyone is called. Everyone's called. Some of you are like, you know, I, I read stories about Moses or I see you know, pastors and different people preaching or doing this thing and that. So some people are called. I'm really not. No, no everyone's called everyone's called we all have a general calling and I think we get it 26 verses into the Bible when God creates human beings he creates them in his image our calling in life each and every one of us is to bear God's image in a broken world that's the calling for all of us Genesis 12 I think is another great picture the call of Abraham he calls Abraham to go and bless the world and we all have a general calling to be a blessing to bless our community to bless our world Jesus put it this way, to love God and to love your neighbor. That's our general calling. That's for all of us. Whether you're a pastor, a teacher, an engineer, a stay-at-home mom, whether you're retired, your calling then is to bear God's image, to be a blessing, to love God and neighbor wherever you find yourself. But we all also, I believe, have a specific calling that God has personalized for us. Some specific personal way that he invites us into this larger story. I love when he calls Moses. It's not just this general calling like, hey, I'm talking out of this bush. Whoever can hear me, come here. He says, Moses, Moses. He calls him by name. He personalizes it. And Moses now has discovered this. He's discovered God's big calling and also now God's specific calling. God was launching a big rescue mission for his people and he's summoning Moses in a special and personal way to help carry it out. So in this story, we see that God comes to his people and he calls his people. And this is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Going back to verse 8 where it says, I've come down to rescue them. Well, centuries later, God the Father would send the ultimate Moses, the ultimate rescuer, Jesus Christ, to come down and to rescue his people. In and through Jesus, God came to us. This is called the incarnation. At Advent and Christmas especially, this is what we celebrate. That God became flesh and he made his dwelling amongst. He didn't stand away in a distance. He came to us. He came and he dwelled among us. He came to rescue us. And he rescued God's people, not just from physical captivity, but he conquered the ultimate pharaoh. He conquered Satan, he conquered sin, he conquered death and he rescued humanity from the ultimate captivity to our sin. And through his resurrection, he brings his people into the ultimate good and spacious eternal life in the kingdom of God, which starts now his and is experienced in its fullness upon his return. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he, he sums this up beautifully. In Colossians 1, 13, he writes, for he, God, has rescued us From the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you see the parallel to the Exodus story there? So God to Moses says, I'm going to come and rescue my people. Here Paul writes, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. So Exodus, he's going to take us out of that land. Colossians, he's rescuing us from the dominion of darkness. Exodus, he's going to bring us into the good and spacious land. Colossians, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. This is the ultimate Exodus, the ultimate Exodus. God the Father had sent Jesus into the world as God in the flesh to come down and to rescue you out of that land. I don't know what that land is for you today, but it's a place of brokenness, it's a place of darkness place of sin and captivity. And God wants to take you out of that land and bring you into the good and spacious land, the land of his kingdom, the place of light and love, wholeness and freedom. God has come to us to rescue us. But he doesn't just come to us. Like Moses, he calls us. See, this isn't just about God sending Moses and then sending Jesus. He then sends us. He calls us. God calls everyone, and he calls you. So how do we respond? How do we respond to God's call upon our lives? I'm going to give you three ways to respond. I had five, but in the interest of time, I'll give you three. Maybe you'll get the other two another time. Although, I realize we didn't change the time on the clock up there, so you, you could be in trouble. If I'm a creature of habit, you're in trouble today. But here's the first one. Go in response to God's calling. Go in response to God's calling. In other words, don't, call, don't go unless God has called you. I mean, sometimes, like, people will tell you what you should do. Um, you might read something and think, well, this is what I should do. You might hear a story of, of something interesting that someone else does, and you think, well, th- that's what I'm called to do. Don't go unless God has called you. Now, some of you might be wondering, well, like, how, how do I know? I mean, how do I know if God's calling me? You know, I, I see that God called Moses. People talk all the time, well, God called me to do this, God called me to do that. How do I know? I mean, I I, I haven't gotten the burning bush thing. And, And oftentimes we don't. Sometimes we do. Sometimes people have these really compelling, amazing stories of how it was clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had called them. But more often than not, it doesn't quite go that way. So how do we know? How do we hear God's voice in our lives? Well, I became a Christian at the age 15, and I had a pastor in our church at the time, who started discipling me. So we would meet every week, and we'd read through Scripture. So he taught me to read Scripture. He taught me to pray, and he'd just teach me all these different truths along the way. And one of the things that he taught me that uh, has, has just been so significant, even to this day, is um, about how to discern God's call upon your lives. And he shared with me this, this metaphor, this illustration. I think he got it from somewhere, but I've Googled it. I've read so many books. I've tried to figure out where he got it. And I just haven't been able to, so maybe it's his. Um, but he called it the, the harbor lights principle. Now, if I, don't know, I don't know if you know what harbor lights are, but harbor lights are uh, a set of, of buoys that are lit up, or sometimes they may even be on poles in the water. And the idea is, is that these harbor lights, if they're lined up, they are to help guide a ship to the shore at night. And if one of these lights is not aligned, then the ship could run aground. It could be in trouble. And so all the harbor lights have to be aligned to bring the ship in safely. And so he said, when you think about your spiritual life, you think about uh, God calling you and discerning whether or not you should do something, um, there's these four harbor lights that you ought to consider. And I'll give these to you. So the, the first one is scripture. So scripture. So if you're given some kind of opportunity, there's an opportunity before you and you're trying to discern, is this God or you know, is this just... Um, My own idea or something that someone else is pressuring me into first question is does it align with scripture? I mean God's not going to call you to do something that's misaligned with the scriptures. Okay, so Does it align with scripture? Second The spirits prompting so as Wesleyans we talk about the witness of the spirit Um, Do we have a sense that the Holy Spirit's leading us and prompting us in this direction? The third is stage in life or circumstances in life. So, you know, with three boys, 12 and under, there's certain things in this stage of life um, that, that we may not do that perhaps we would 10, 20 years from now. Now, so, sometimes God calls us to do what, what seems like something ridiculous, um, but the bottom line is, you know, especially if you, you have family, God's not going to call you to do something that's going to be damaging to your family. I, I truly believe that. Um, So stage in life. Does this make sense in my stage in life? And then fourth is sage wisdom. Sage wisdom. So who are the godly advisors? Who are the godly counselors in your life? I have a good friend. He refers to this as his table of counsel. Who's your table of counsel? And so the idea is if you have an opportunity, um, you, you discern it using these four harbor lights. And if you're three for four, I mean, that's a great shooting percentage in basketball, but this needs to be 100%. Um, They need to be in line. Now, you may have your own framework, your own method of discernment, but I can tell you I've used this for every major decision in my life for the last 22, 23 years. And I've experienced the presence of God in a profound way each and every time I've made that decision. Now, there's certainly been some anxiety along the way too. Um, But God speaks to us in many different ways. And so, as we engage in, in these four ways or maybe others, we get more clarity on how God is leading. I could share with you many different stories of how this has been helpful, but for the sake of time, uh, I'll move on. But the point here is we go in response to God's calling, okay? Go in response to God's calling. Second, we go with God. People say that, go with God. But we, that's literally what we do. I mean, how did Moses respond? So, so, God calls him into this big thing. How did he ultimately respond? Well, we find in the next few verses that he asked two fundamental questions, which I don't blame him for. If I'm Moses, I'm going to have some questions too. Probably more than two. But let's read on, verses 11 through 15. But Moses said to God, "'Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt?' And God said, "'I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain.'" who am I? Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I mean, think about my past, God. Think, think about everything that's happened in my life. Who am I? And we'll find, if you're to read in Exodus 4, this is the first of several excuses that Moses gives. In chapter 4, he goes on, he asks, how will the people believe that you've sent me? I'm not eloquent. Please send someone else. I mean, he's just captain excuses, excuse after excuse after excuse. And to Moses' credit, he gets the gravity of the call, and it kind of scares him. I mean, the reality is that God never calls us to something small or something that's going to be all that comfortable. Whatever you sense your calling in life is, if it doesn't get you nervous a little bit, if it doesn't cause you to sweat, if it doesn't cause you to freak out a little bit, if it doesn't seem a little outlandish or a little outrageous, it might not be from God. And when we hear this, like, we tend, like Moses, to have some excuses. Well, God, I, I have a bit of a past. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't have the right gifts. I don't, I don't have the time. It won't ever work. But here's the thing with God. God doesn't seem to care about excuses. I mean, I've had a few freak out moments along the way when I've sensed God calling me to something. Uh, one example I'll share is, the, the church that I pastored before coming here, Resolution Church, was a, a church in the suburbs of Chicago. And initially, Becky and I went there to do a one-year internship. We were going to help start the church and then move on and do our own thing. And about nine months in, uh, the founding pastor left, and we were asked to stay and to lead this church. And um, I, I ran it through the harbor lights and just spent some time praying and discerning and ultimately said, yes, but I'll never forget the first Sunday, As uh, as lead pastor, I'm standing in the back during worship, and I'm looking out, and I'm thinking, "Oh no! (sighs) Like, these people aren't going to follow me." I was 28 years old, and uh, our church was mainly made up of, um, you know, of executive level people in one of the fastest growing counties in the United States at the time. And I'm just thinking, they're not going to follow a mature or an immature, not a mature, an immature 28 year old. And I, it wasn't an audible voice, but I remember in that moment sensing that the Holy Spirit was saying to me, Eric, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter about your gifts. It doesn't, doesn't matter about whether or not you feel confident. I've called you to do this. I've called you to do this. That's all that matters. And that, that, that gave me this confidence in the middle of this freak out moment. And I believe that that happens for us. Okay? That when God calls us to something, it, it may not be comfortable. It may rattle us a little bit, but God doesn't tolerate excuses. Here's why. Because it's not ultimately about us. Here's how God responds to Moses. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. God neither validates nor objects to Moses' excuse. He doesn't say, Moses, stop being hard on yourself. You're not that bad. You're you're actually really qualified and you're really gifted. You've got everything that it takes to do this. He doesn't say that. Nor does he say, you know what, Moses, you're right. You know, I should have thought through this. You really aren't qualified. I think we grabbed the wrong resume. Like, I'm going to grab the search committee. We're going to expand this. And I think we'll just find something else. He doesn't either. In fact, God doesn't even reference Moses' ability or inability to do the job. Instead, God simply speaks of God's own ability and specifically his presence. Here's the second question. So Moses first asks, who am I? Second question, essentially, is who is God? Moses asks, if the people ask me what your name is, what should I tell them? Who are you? God responds by saying, tell them I am who I am. Tell them I am. In other words, he's saying, look, I I exist. I'm here. I'm involved in what's going on in this world and with my people. And here is the fundamental truth about the call of God upon our lives. God's call is based upon who God is, not who you are. God's call is based upon who God is, not who you are, who I am, or who you are not, and I am not. God's saying to Moses, look, I know what I'm calling you to is big and scary, but it's not contingent upon you. It's contingent upon who I am. I'm the God of your ancestors to whom I've been faithful. And so I'm sending you out, but I'm also going with you. And I will supply you with everything you need for the task. God gives us a purpose, yes, but he also gives us his presence. He gives us intimacy with him. And Moses would grow to rely deeply on his intimacy with God. Later on in Exodus, God calls him to something and and Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. He was desperate for the presence of God. So go in response to God's calling and go with God. Third and lastly, Go together. Verses 16 through 18. God says, Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Ites. I'm not going to read all those again. A land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. So God is sending Moses back to Egypt to go to Pharaoh. But it's interesting, he says, When you get there, assemble the elders. Which begs the question who are the elders? These weren't like the elders of the church these were the heads of various families and tribes in that land the wise and respected ones in the community the ones that everyone looked to for guidance and leadership who are the elders in your life i mean when you're discerning whether or not a call is from god who is that table of counsel and how might you assemble the elders in your life Uh, this was this has been pretty key for me throughout my life and throughout my ministry and uh, actually, was a huge component in Becky and I deciding to come here to Dearborn. Um, when, when we had the opportunity to come to move our family from Chicago area, to come be a part of what God was doing here, there were a few other things that we were discerning and thinking about. And I was living in the same community where I had pastored. And the, the church that I just referenced, um, we had about a year in between when we pastored there and when we came here. And I, I was working for a nonprofit during the time. And, uh, and so when we had this opportunity and a few other opportunities that we're discerning, I reached out to as many former board members as I could and, um, and I said, would you meet me for coffee? And I sat down, I, I shared with them kind of what was going on and I uh, had three questions for them. And there was one former board member in particular that he said something to me that at that moment, the moment he said it, I knew we had to go to Dearborn. It was just, it was the way that the Lord spoke through him and used him. And I got to tell you, this assembling the elders thing was key in that decision. It's been key in every decision. So who are those elders in your life? Who are those godly people that if God's put an opportunity before you, you need to invite into the discernment process? But notice, God doesn't just call Moses to consult with the elders. God tells him that the elders will listen to him and that they will go with him. He says, you and the elders are going to go to the king of Egypt. Moses, you don't have to go alone. And in chapter 4, when Moses is throwing up another excuse, saying, I'm not eloquent, God says, fine. Your brother's coming with you. Aaron's coming with you. But here's the deal. God almost never calls someone to go alone. God almost always calls us to go together with a team. It's interesting. I wrote that earlier this week, and then I thought, you know, it's election season. I need to fact check this. I mean, is this true that God never calls people to go alone? And I I try not to make matter-of-fact statements. But I just spent just a few moments thinking about some of the different people that we find throughout the Bible that respond to God's call in a profound way. And then I thought, who went with them? How about Noah? We always tell the story of Noah. Who went with Noah? Yeah, his family. Noah didn't go alone. And a a bunch of animals, right? I mean, even the animals got to be part of the team. Abraham. Abraham. God's call wasn't just to Abraham. It was Abraham and to Sarah. All his servants. All his household. Moses, we see here. Moses is being called to go with the elders and eventually Aaron. Joshua, who went with Joshua. Caleb. David. David has these mighty men that are around him all the time. Jesus. I mean, if anyone could accomplish the mission of God on his own, Jesus could do it. And he invites 12 knuckleheads to join him. How about Paul? I mean, we could, we could spend the rest of the day talking about all of Paul's ministry partners. God almost never calls someone to go alone. So who's your team? I mean, if God's calling you to do something, who's going with you? I'm so grateful for the way that we see this lived out in our church. I'm so grateful that there is a Brightmoor Dinner Church team. I'm so grateful that there is a Geron Collective team, that there is a Chandler Center team, I'm so grateful that I get to serve with a team, with a staff, with a board, with other leaders in the church. And it's more fun that way too. Who is going with you? So when God calls us, we need to respond to God's calling. We need to go with God and we go together. This is what Moses discovered. And after all the questions, all the excuses, Moses finally accepts the call and he gets going. And my hope and prayer is that we might do the same. That you would know and believe that God has come to rescue you and that God has called you. And that when you've discerned God's call, you'll go in response to him, you'll go with him. And that you'll go together and that you'll just get going. You'll do what God has called you to do. Maybe some of you this morning, you just long for, you're hoping that you would just hear God's call upon your life. You're you're hoping, you're, you're yearning, you're longing that God would just call you by name. I had an experience earlier this week where I was reminded of just the power of hearing your name called. Uh, I was at a conference in Orlando, a pastor's conference in Orlando. And um, I'm, I'm maturing a little bit uh, in my old age, but I still like a good deal. And so typically I, I find the cheapest rental car that I can. And sometimes, you know, sometimes in life you get what you pay for. Um, so. You know, usually you get, when you get a rental car, and it's not from a company you've ever heard of, um, things could get interesting, and things got a little interesting. So my, my colleague and I, we, we land and we get to the airport, and it's one of these uh, car rental places where you go outside and you wait for a shuttle to bring you to the car rental place. And uh, I, I had read online, and um, I called them, and there was a recording that said every 15 minutes the shuttle comes. I said, okay, that's not that bad. And so we're sitting outside, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And I'm thinking, I may have to like, uh, you know, get a, an Uber or something to, to go to this car rental place. But then I thought, you know what? I'm going to read up on this place a little. I, sh- I should have read some reviews beforehand. So I, I bring up the place and uh, it had a 1.5 stars, not out of two, out of five. And I'm reading, I'm reading comment after comment. Waited 40 minutes for the shuttle. Waited an hour for the shuttle. Shuttle never showed up. i thinking, oh, this is great. And then I keep reading, once you get to the place, it's another hour wait to get your car. This is the worst car rental experience I've ever had. They upcharged me for all these things. The rudest customer service I've ever experienced. Well, eventually the shuttle shows up, probably 40, 45 minutes, and we actually had a great conversation with the shuttle driver. And uh, we get to the place, we get to the car rental place, and it's, it's an old converted gas station So, you know, the inside of it is barely bigger than this platform. And uh, there's about 10 people in there just waiting and about another 10 outside. I mean, it just, it looked like a factory of sadness. Like they were just, I mean, they were just creating sadness and misery in this place. And so I walk in and finally someone says, hey, you need to sign your name on this log right here. That's when they know when to call you. Like, okay. So I walk over. There's like 10 names above where I'm going to sign my name. So I write my name on there, and the whole time I'm just thinking, all right, it was cheap, maybe I should just eat the money and find something else. But I figure I'll wait a little bit, and we're, we start talking with people, and one after one, they're like, we've been waiting here for over an hour. Um, we don't know when they're going to get to us. And so I look at the counter, and there's just one woman at the counter, and then I look, there's this side room, and in the side room, there's just another employee sitting there eating. And I'm thinking, you know, boy, this would probably move a, you know, along a little bit more if both were at the counter. Well, then finally, the dude finishes up, goes and washes his hands, which I'm grateful for, and comes out to the counter. I'm thinking, okay, now there's two people at the counter. This will move a little faster. Well, after about five minutes, the woman then walks to the other room, and she gets something to eat. And so now it's just the guy. So I go up to the counter, and I say, hey, um, I mean, it's, it's pretty busy in here. I mean, it, it might be... It might help you guys move things along a little quicker if if the two of you uh, can both be out here. And he just looks at me and says, oh, what, you don't think we deserve a break? And uh, what I thought in that moment is, boy, I wish I hadn't preached on the fruit of the Spirit for the last 10 weeks. (laughs) Because love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, that's not what I'm feeling right now. And so finally... uh, so yeah, we end that conversation and uh, the woman eventually comes back out and we're waiting a little bit longer, but after about an hour, I can tell you everything that I read in the reviews happened, but after about an hour, you know what I heard? Eric! I heard my name. <laughs> and for an hour, I had been longing and yearning to hear my name. Now that's, that's a silly story, but the reality is there's many of us, we just long to hear the God of the universe call our name, to set us free, to invite us into a place of freedom, to invite us into a place of joy, to invite us into that good and spacious land. And my hope and prayer is that each and every person in here today, in whatever unique way it is, that you would hear God call your voice. In the same way he called Moses, Moses, that you would hear God call your voice. That he, you would be called to him and then experience the mission that he's inviting you into. So I, I want you to prayerfully consider next, two next steps today. The first one is this. We bring these up. I will listen for God's voice in my life. I will listen for God's voice in my life. I think there's several ways we can engage in that. We can read scripture. In your program, you'll find a, a reading plan for this series Um, We spend time in prayer. Sometimes it means we need to eliminate some other voices. Sometimes it means that there's other voices that are distracting us. Sometimes it means they're not just distracting us, they're lying to us. And we need to eliminate them. We need to remove them from our lives. I will listen for God's voice in my life. And then second, I will go where God is sending me. I'll go, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a place, maybe it's a neighborhood, maybe it's a people group, maybe it's just one person, Maybe it's one person in the lobby today after the service that God's just calling you. Go to that person. Go to that person and just share a kind word with them. Go to that person and just listen. And don't minimize the impact of that. How is God calling you? And how are you going to respond? My hope and prayer is that each and every one of us would know that God has called us. that God's come to us and he's called us and that his calling is not based upon who we are or who we are not but upon who he is. May we hear his voice and may we live out his calling as he leads us into a good and spacious land. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that uh, this is a story that points to the ultimate story. That when we were living in the ultimate captivity to sin and death, you saw us, you heard us, you were concerned about our suffering, and you did something drastic. You came down to rescue us. You came to rescue us from the dominion of death and to lead us into your kingdom, into that good and spacious land. I pray for anyone in here today who they are in captivity. They're in captivity to something, whether it's, whether it's a sin, whether it's, it's uh, something external that they have no control over whether they're in captivity to loneliness or to depression or to whatever it is, I pray that they might hear the voice of the one who loves them. That they would experience your call into freedom, into a good and spacious place, into your kingdom, into life with you. And for those of us who have experienced that, who have experienced freedom in you, I pray today that you would just emphasize the call that you have upon our lives. We thank you for this general calling that we've all been invited into to bear your image, to love God and our neighbor. But I believe you have a specific, personalized call for every person in this room. And I pray that today and in the coming weeks and months that you would just bring even greater clarity to that call. May we be a church that responds in obedience to your call that we would follow you, that we would be agents of your rescue and of your kingdom. I thank you for the many people in this church who live that out on a daily basis. May they be affirmed and encouraged in you today. Jesus, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. And we're going to continue in a time of worship and song. Uh, If you'd like prayer this morning for anything, maybe, maybe this morning you find yourself in some kind of captivity and you want to experience freedom, and you'd like for someone to pray with you on that. We have a team up here. Maybe you'd, you'd like greater clarity on how God is calling you. Maybe there's just something else that weighs heavy on your heart. I just want to invite you, as we continue in worship, to come forward and to spend some time in prayer. Amen.